Joshua chapter 24. You know, I woke up this morning thinking about how it pleased the Lord to make you and I His people. (laughs) It pleased the Lord to do so. There's only one reason that the Lord chose a people. Just one reason. Only one reason the Lord will never forsake a people. The one reason is for His great name's sake. <laughs> because of His own glory. 1 Samuel 12.22 For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great name's sake. Because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people for no reason outside of his own will purpose compassion no reason outside of his own pity and for the glory of his own great name's sake god in the person of his son came into the world to save sinners <laughs> that he determined and chose to save from the foundation of the world and the scriptures put an emphasis on when this occurred because God knew and God preordained and God determined to save these sinners before the world was ever made and before there was ever a sinner. When God chose these sinners is so important because it immediately establishes that the sinner, before they were born, before they had done any good or evil, to merit life or to deserve hell had nothing to do with it. Nothing. It's all according to the will and purpose of God. And God's Word, the Bible, declares in no uncertain terms that the only way a fallen sinner can be reconciled to God is if God Himself comes, keeps His own law, satisfies his own justice, sheds his own blood, and puts away all the sin of his people. We don't get any credit for it. We didn't do anything. And that's what we'll see again tonight. We see it everywhere in the Scriptures, even in the 24th chapter of Joshua. God does everything. And I put an emphasis on everything for His people in Christ. I put an emphasis on those two words too. And again, I remind you of what Paul said in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. He said, For whatsoever things were written aforetime, speaking of the Old Testament Scriptures, he said, were written for our learning. God, in the, through the Word of God, teaches His people some things. And they grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. What do these Old Testament studies do for us? What do these things written aforetime teach us? Well, patience. I need patience. Comfort. Oh, I need comfort. Don't you need comfort? Isn't that why you're here tonight? And hope. We all need hope. Christ in you is the hope of glory. That's the three things that we as sinners need most desperately. Now, in verse 1 here of Joshua 24, 
In Joshua's last words to Israel, he reminds them of who it was that delivered them. That's what preachers do. We remind sinners of who it was that saved them and who it was that gave them everything that they had. Do you know that everything that you have, God gave to you? Well, preacher, you know, I, uh, I've worked hard for what I have. God gave you the health and the good sense to work. It's all from Him. It all comes from Him. He gave you the job. He gave you the ability to do the job. That's what makes idolatry such a horrific thing. When you think about it, now it really does. How can mankind ascribe mercy, grace, forgiveness, and salvation to anyone but God? You can't read this book and ascribe it to anyone else, much less an idol. It's all of God. It's an evil thing to, to ascribe God's glory to anyone or anything else. That's why the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments are, Thou shalt have no other gods before Me, and thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. God will not share His glory with another. I can describe the reason for every chosen sinner their salvation in just two words. You remember that used to be a show, a contest, I can name that tune in one note or two notes. It'd be hard to do it in one note. <laughs> I guess some did it in two, but I can describe the reason for every chosen sinner's salvation in just two words. But God. But God. But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We plant and we water, Paul said. <clears throat> I plant Apollo's waters, but God gives the increase. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. And that's what we're seeing the fruition of here in Joshua. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened, hath made us alive together with Christ. And by grace ye are saved. It's by grace that God does it. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. Okay, verse 1 again. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to... Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. This is what God says. When preachers stand to preach, they're not preaching what they say. They better not be. They better be preaching what God says. God says, your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time. In other words, before the flood. Even Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nacor. And they served other gods. Other gods beside the true God. They served strange gods. They're called strange gods. Which were no gods, they were idols. You know, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I'll show thee. You remember that? We looked at it. 
And uh, I'm, he said, I'll make of thee, speaking to Abraham, a great nation, and I'll bless you. And I'll make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Now that's God that said that. God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you a blessing. And these words are the words of the Lord Himself. And you know, the capitalization of the title Lord, capital L-O-R-D, indicates more than just the fact that He's God overall. The Lord is speaking here as Jehovah God. The just God and Savior. He's uh, meaning that He alone is alone the God of a particular, peculiar, and purchased people. Uh, look at Isaiah. Hold your place here. Look at Isaiah chapter 45 with me. You, you know this, these verses very well, but look at this. In Isaiah chapter 45, verse 20. This is the Lord speaking. The Lord says, Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye and bring them. Who's them? Your idols. Bring your idols near, yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient times? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, and there is no God else beside me, a just God, and a Savior, there is none beside me. Now what God is saying here is just this. Gather all your idols together, and the gods of your imagination, that's all idols are. Whatever you wanted that idol to be, that's what He was, just a God of your imagination. He said, gather all your idols together and bring them before me and let them take counsel together. Let them put their non-existent minds to test and see... Uh, if they can tell you who is control over who's in control over all things, <laughs> you see the one who is over all things is the one who has been since ancient times. He's God. He's the Creator. He's the one that spoke this whole shooting match into existence. There's only one God and Creator. God says it over and over again here, and God says it's me. I'm the one God and there's no Savior beside me. No God else beside me. As far as a just God and a Savior, there's none beside me. Therefore, he went on to say here, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there's none else. Simply meaning there's no other way, no, uh, no one else by whom you can be saved. See how particular this is? How distinguishing it is? This is the Lord Jesus speaking here in Isaiah chapter 45. So we see all through the Scriptures that it was God who initiated the deliverance of Abraham from the idols of his fathers on the other side of the flood and delivers all his people from the idols 
that they conjure up in their own imagination. And Abraham was not only an idol worshiper, friends, he was an idol maker. Making idols was the family business. It, and and I, I have no doubt that it was big business because it was a, it was a business in demand. It, it was an art or a, a trade that was in demand. And in verse 3 here, back in our text, we see that it's the Lord who says, And I took, I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood, and I led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and I multiplied his seed, and I gave him Isaac. God did it all. Every bit of it. It's God, the Lord Jesus, our just God and Savior, who says, I took, I multiplied, and I gave. Because there's no God beside me. If anybody's going to give it, it's going to have to be me. I'm the only one who can. Now here in Joshua chapter 24, the Lord reveals Himself as the God of the covenant of grace, the covenant of promise, a new covenant confirmed in His own blood. And hear me when I tell you the success of salvation is that God has made an eternal covenant with His Son for the salvation of His elect people. And He cannot fail. So the salvation of God's people is certain. God didn't make salvation possible. I I grow so tired of hearing that nonsense. No... Nothing is impossible with God. All things are possible with Him. And the first thing we see in this covenant of grace is that God took an idolatrous man and made him a father of many nations and the father of the faithful. Friends, Abraham was not a special man apart from sovereign distinction. He was a sinner just like you and me. That's why we're never to put men upon a pedestal. Don't do it. You'll get disappointed. They'll let you down. The only person worthy to be put upon a pedestal and worshipped and to receive all honor and glory is the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man. He's the only one. Abraham wasn't special. He's no different from any other man or woman that lived before the flood. The thoughts of Abraham's heart, just like yours and just like mine and just like every other sinner's, is only evil continually. No doubt he had a prosperous business and Abraham had a beautiful wife. We find that out later when the king of Egypt and the other king was so infatuated by her beauty. While Abraham had a family that loved him, and no doubt things were going well in the land of Ur of Chaldees for Abraham. Why, you couldn't have dynamited him out of the place. But God, but God, divinely intervened and called him out. And his call, God's call, is always effectual. Always effectual. I think about those eight souls, Noah and his family, who were spared in the ark of God, picturing the Lord Jesus Christ. They came out of the other side of that flood and time revealed very quickly that they were no different. No different than before the flood. 
Noah's sons and their wives had children who had the same fondness for sin as those that died in the flood. God miraculously delivered Abraham's nephew, Lot, out of Sodom. And no sooner than he did, Lot got drunk and his daughters, who God also delivered, committed incest with him. But in spite of them, the Lord showed them great grace and referred to Lot as a just man. How can that be? In Christ. The only way. Because of God's covenant with Christ before the world began. Boy, that gives me hope. That gives me some comfort. Christ paid for Lot's sin as the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world just as He did for all whom God gave Him to die for. And as much as it might disappoint the proud, salvation has nothing to do with what you did or what you do. And I'm so thankful for that. Abraham was a sinner, an idolater, an idol maker. Abraham was happy and content to keep right on being so. And so were you, and so were I. But God says, I took Abraham. I've seen the posters with Jesus knocking on someone's heart door. No, sir. I took. I took. I knocked the door down. I divinely intervened. I, I, I divinely interrupted in the sinner's life. God says, I took Abraham. It doesn't mean that Abraham let him take him either. That means that God took him. That word took means to fetch. God fetched him. It means to lay hold of. God laid hold of him. That word took means many things. It means to seize. It means to receive. It means to acquire. It means to buy. It means to bring. It means to marry. It means to take away. Abraham the idolater was apprehended by grace. God in mercy and grace said, arrest that sinner. He belongs to Christ. In verse 3, the Lord declares to have led Abraham. Verse 3, I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. That word led means to guide, to lead, to pilot. Sinners are not God's co-pilot. That's another bumper sticker. I don't know who was thinking when they... When they wrote it, but he's not. Sinners are not his co-pilot. Christ is our pilot, yes. And he not only piloted the way to life for us, but he himself is the way. No man comes to God. Tell me how, but by him. But God. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby you must be saved. But Israel, representative of God's church, continued to sin and continued to worship the idols of their fathers, fathers before the flood. 
And God's people today know that there's absolutely nothing that we can do. There's nothing within us that can make us savable. The law of God says that we're guilty. And the justice of God says that we deserve the wages of sin, which is death. Now, what are we going to do with that? We're going to trust in a covenant that God made with His Son that would be the stone that was the head of the corner upon which the whole building, the whole church is built. God made a promise, an oath, an agreement according to the glory of His own great name's sake to give particular sinners an atonement, a payment for sin's wages. Wouldn't I be crazy to say, no, no, I won't try to pay that for my pay that debt myself. Like Brother Darwin said one time, is like going to a, a, an art museum and looking at the masters and pulling a crayon out of your pocket and say, I think I'll improve on that a little bit. Can't do it. It's perfect. It's a perfect work. We can't add anything to it. What if we add something to it, we make it imperfect. Jesus Christ is that propitiation, that payment, that appeasing for sin. And Jesus Christ died the just as the perfect one for the unjust, the wretched worms that we are, that He might bring us to God. Christ does the bringing. No other way to be brought. How does the Good Shepherd bring home the sheep? He goes and He finds them and He puts them on His shoulder and He carries them all the way back to the Father. That's exactly how God saved me. And that's why the Lord speaking of Himself here, speaking of Himself in the Scripture said, I am the way, no other way, the truth, no other truth, and the life. The meaning, the meaning only, only. The only way. No man cometh to the Father but by me. There is no other way to come to the Father. None at all. No other way to be saved. No other way to be reconciled to God whom we have offended. No other way into the kingdom of God. Now if you're interested in getting into the kingdom of God, this is the only way. When the beloved Apostle John wrote, He that hath the Son of God hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life, that word and in that text is italicized. It was added. Meaning the word was just that, added. Now John's not talking about two different things there. This is not two different thoughts, uh, two different statements. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. No, one, one statement. No separation of thought or action there. It's one or the other. You either have the Son and you have life, or you don't have the Son and you don't have life. That's just how singular God's Gospel is. And according to the last part of verse 3 here in Joshua 24, it was God who gave Abraham and Sarah their son Isaac. You know, Ishmael was a son of the flesh. You remember how Ishmael came about? Sarah got her handmaid to lay with Abraham and Ishmael was born. He, he was birthed of the bondwoman. Isaac was the son of promise. Sarah, 90 years old, her, her womb barren. Abraham, 100 years old. 
Isaac was birthed of the free woman. And in verse 4, God says, And I gave unto Isaac, Jacob, and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir uh, to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. Now we read over these things. We need to slow down and think about it. What God is saying here is that He's the one who caused Jacob to go down to Egypt. He's the first cause of all things and everything. It was God who did all the giving, and all the giving was according to His determinate counsel, counsel and foreknowledge, purpose and power to save much people alive. You know, the evil that comes against us, this is what Joseph told his brother. He said, what you did to me, you meant for evil. But God overruled it, and He meant it for good. And God does that all the time when we don't even realize that He's doing it. God's overruling things and He's causing what might seem evil to us to work for our good. That's what Romans 8.28 tells us. This is a sovereign God we're dealing with. In verse 5, God says, I sent Moses also and Aaron and I plagued Egypt. Who did? God did. According to that which I did among them. And afterward, I brought you out. <laughs> Who did this? God did this. The Lord Jesus Christ did this. As you read down through these verses, you can see it over and over and over again from the mouth of God Himself. I took, I led, I multiplied, I gave. That's in verse 3 alone. I sent, I plagued, I did, I brought. Verse 5. I covered, I have done, I destroyed, I would not hearken, I delivered, I have given. God did. He does it all. The Lord said, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Joshua reminds Israel here of the distinguishing qualities of God's election of grace. God gave both sons. God gave Jacob and God gave Esau. God loved one of the sons and God hated the other one. Well, that's pretty harsh. What would have been justice would have been if God hated both of them. God determined this before they were born. Why? So that this world might know that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Sinners are not saved by works, not saved by their doing, but of Him, but of God, they call it. I find it interesting that God says that He gave Esau Mount Seir here. Those who God left to themselves are given the things of this world to enjoy. Let them enjoy them. Ain't no reason to be upset because somebody's got more of this world than you, God. You need to be thankful for it. Really. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. You know what? God sent them there. Ultimately, they became slaves there, but it was necessary for them to become slaves there. It was necessary that the Lord send Jacob and Israel into slavery for the purpose of His grace. Do you think that 400 plus years in slavery there in Egypt was enjoyable? 
The chastening of the Lord is grievous. It has to be to teach us. But if we endure chastening, that's what God calls it. God deals with us as sons. For what father that truly loves his son does not correct him or teach him? The word chasten means to humble. It's to teach humility. God's going to bring us down a few notches. God's going to teach us that we're not the boss. We're not large and in charge. God is going to humble. God is going to chasten. He's going to bring down. God is going to, sub to subdue. God's going to have you uh, make brick without straw for a while to teach you who's in control. Mm -hmm. Well, you might say, well, Pharaoh did that. No, God allowed Pharaoh to do it. How are you going to make brick without straw? We're going to trust God. I have some friends that are going through some heavy trials right now, real heavy trials, facing the loss of loved ones. And you talk to them, a husband wishes it could be him, not his wife, and a father wishes it could be him and not his son. But God does everything for the good of His people, everything. He works all things together for good to them who love the Lord, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Do you believe that? I do too, brother. I do. By God's grace, I believe that. But this comfort is found in knowing that it's God who does these things. God is out to do His people good. That's good news, isn't it? But even better news is the glorious fact that God cannot fail. So if you are in Christ, everything is good and everything always will be regardless of the circumstances around you because God cannot fail. In verse 5, God said, I sent Moses also and Aaron. <laughs> it's amazing how many times I've read these verses and never saw these. And I'm convinced that Scriptures unequivocally teach that God uses the means of preaching to save them that believe. Mm -hmm. It's so clear. It's a faithful saying and word they give. All acceptation, Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, and God uses what the world calls the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Who can call on the Lord in whom they have not believed? How can they believe in Christ of whom they've not heard, Paul asked. How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? That's what makes the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace so beautiful. It's with those feet that they bring glad tidings of great joy. I love the observation that Tim James made concerning the means of God's preachers. And you know, God's preachers are the first ones to tell you, nothing special about me. Don't, don't put me on a pestle. Don't, don't make me any more than I am. You know, but here's the distinction. The Ethiopian eunuch didn't ask to confess Christ and be baptized until God sent Philip to him, until God sent him a preacher. He said, what are you reading? Philip said, what are you reading? He said, I don't have any man to show me. Well, God sent you one. I'm him. Mm -hmm. 
And he began to show him Christ in the Scriptures. He said, what hinders me from being baptized? Nothing. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, there's some water right there. Cornelius, he didn't believe and was not baptized until God sent him Simon Peter. The scales did not fall off the eyes of Saul of Tarsus until God sent Ananias to declare the Gospel to him. Every one of God's elect will have a preacher sent to them. Or God will send them to a preacher. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how they cross paths. They will cross paths. In verse 5, we also see that the Lord will plague the enemies of His people. I've seen it time and time again. Somebody come against one of the Lord's anointed and the Lord took care of it. The Lord take care of it. He'll plague the enemies of His people. Our Lord's victory over death brought me out of the bondage of sin. God plagued all His people's enemies and they had to let His people go. That's what God did in Egypt. Sent plague after plague. Look down at verse 9 here in Joshua 24. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel and sinned and called Balaam. You remember Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you? But look at this, verse 10. But I would not hearken unto Balaam. Therefore, he blessed you. He didn't curse you, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. I was behind it all. You remember Balaam, don't you? Well, he couldn't curse whom God blessed. Nobody can. If God blessed you, can nobody curse you? If God be for you, who can be against you? Do you remember the evil that Balaam did? He instructed Balak to do business with Israel and they wound up intermarrying and then Israel wound up Worshipping their false gods. You know, Satan is so subtle, isn't he? As we recently saw, we're not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What fellowship can righteousness have with unrighteousness? None. What communion can light have with darkness? Absolutely none. What conquered, what harmony hath Christ with Belial? None. What agreement, covenant has a believer with an infidel, an unbeliever? Can't have any. Don't have the same God. Don't have the same hope. God has promised that none of His people be deceived. If it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. But it's not possible. God has promised. God's people won't hearken to false teachers. You know, there's this... God has given a special discernment in, by, and through His Spirit so that His people hear the truth and nothing but the truth. And a um, false prophet, they won't follow. And verse 11 teaches us that after we cross into the promised land, there are still enemies to war against us. But when God's finished with all our enemies, the only one saved, just like in Jericho, was a harlot with her eyes on the scarlet cord. When it's all said and done, 
In the matter of salvation, Christ is the justifier of the believer. No room for boasting. Paul said it's excluded. Does the law exclude it? No. We can't keep the law. It, it doesn't exclude it, our boasting. If we could keep the law and be saved that way, we'd boast about it. Does our works exclude our boasting? No. There's none that doeth good, not a single one. There ain't nothing that we can do that we can boast in. Our boasting is excluded by the law of faith, by believing in Christ 100%. There's no reason for us to boast in ourselves but to boast in Him and Him alone. And that's what giving glory to God is. That's what praise and worship to God is, is boasting on Christ. Uh, Brother Rex, when he introduces preachers down there in Danville, he always says right before they come up, he says, come brother and brag on Christ. (laughs) That's what we do. We brag on Christ and what He's done for sinners. We don't brag on what we've done. My, my, that wouldn't take too long, would it? Boasting is excluded. When it comes to our inheritance, look at verse 13. It says it all. God says, and I have given you. That settles it right there. I've given you all of it. A land for which you did not labor. And cities which you built not. And you dwell in them. I've given you vineyards and olive yards which you planted not. But yet you do eat from them. The Gospel constantly reminds us that the Lord is the only one who can say to us, I have given. And every child of God knows that they have, don't have anything that they didn't receive and therefore they can't glory in it as that they didn't receive it. Well, we have to be honest with ourselves. I can't glory in something I didn't, I didn't do. If it was given to me, it was a gift. I need to glory in the giver. I need to brag on the giver. And because of these things and his last recorded message to Israel before, before dying warns Israel and warns us, I might add, in verse 14, he says, Now therefore, because of these things that the Lord has done, therefore, because of these things, fear the Lord. Reverence and honor Him. Serve Him in sincerity and truth. May we like the Lord always be about our Father's business. <laughs> Put away the gods which your Father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. Just put them away. And serve ye the Lord. You see what a privilege it is to serve the Lord. <laughs> I think I'm beginning to see. May God be pleased to make it so for His glory, our good, and for Christ's great name, for His great name's sake.